Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. So one thing about the Bible, and the Bible even says this about itself, that stories were written and recorded so you and I could learn how to live. We can learn from the failures of others. We can learn from the successes of others. And I call that wisdom. See, wisdom is knowing what to do with what you know, but wisdom is also learning from the experiences of others. You don't have enough time in your life to experience everything. And you don't have enough body parts either. You know, like I understand that, that if you jump out of an airplane, that gravity is going to take me down. And some of you have jumped out of an airplane, skydive Santa Barbara. God bless you. My wife actually did that years ago. And I prayed the whole way that she was coming down. I saw this little dot in the sky. I said, please, Lord, I really need her in my life. <laughs> have her land safely. And when she landed safely, I said, I'm glad you're here. I'll never do that. So I don't need to jump out of an airplane to understand that gravity is a reality, right? We learn from the experiences of others. And in the book of Nehemiah, we can learn so much. We learn a lot about him, but we also learn about people. And I want you to know that Pastor John has done a masterful job working with me through this series, and he's given me five chapters to cover today, 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13. So in the next five hours... Actually, 12 hours. Yeah, we're going to be here for 12 hours. Just kidding. Nehemiah 9.3 is where I get the 12 hours from. It says that they stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping their God. Just think about that. We're going to divide up the day and we're going to spend 12 hours. We're going to read for six and we're going to read and worship and confess for the other six. And most of you would say, I'm not having that. So I promise I have 26 minutes on the clock. I'll do my best to abide by that. But I want to take you to Nehemiah 13. So if you have a Bible, you want to go there or a Bible app, however it is you get the Bible, go to Nehemiah 13. And something that we recognize in Nehemiah 13 is not all good stories that start well end well. In Nehemiah 13, things go sideways. So we can learn from those who made pledges to God in Nehemiah 10 and who violated them by Nehemiah 13. It reminds me of the children of Israel. Remember they crossed the Red Sea? And they're so excited that Pharaoh and his army and the horses and the chariots drowned in the Red Sea. On the other side, they're worshiping, thank you, God, thank you, God, yippee you're so wonderful, God. And a couple chapters later, they're worshiping the idols of their enemies. Oftentimes, when Israel would have conquest over their enemies, they would take the spoils or the treasures or the, the gold and silver, whatever they could find of value, but sometimes they would actually take the idols of their enemies that they just conquered because of the hand of God and worship those idols. It doesn't make any sense, but yet it happened. So as we go through this message, remember five chapters, uh, 12 hours, as we go through this message, ask yourself this question, is there anything here for me to learn? How will I live differently because of what I'm hearing today? So all the way back in chapter one of Nehemiah, we learned about this man named Nehemiah 
who lived in the Persian White House. He's in the palace. He's not only an advisor to the king, he was also someone who was a food tester, remember? Uh, he would drink and eat what was prepared for the king, and the king would watch and see if there was any physical reaction to what he was eating and drinking. In other words, if Nehemiah keeled over, the king wasn't having it. Oftentimes in those days, they would poison the leader's food, and so they needed somebody to, well, to test it for them. And so he has this heart because he hears about Jerusalem. Jerusalem was his previous city. And Jerusalem and the Jews were his people. And he hears that the walls have been knocked down and the gates had been burned. The infrastructure was gone. The economy was in ruins. There were no guards. There was no army. There was nothing to help the people that lived inside the city limits and to keep them protected from anyone who would come in and want to do anything to them, to their children, to their wives. And in Nehemiah 12... We see that the wall has been rebuilt, and on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. And the women and the children, they also rejoiced. And the sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far, far away. Let's celebrate. God has done great things. Let's celebrate. We've crossed the Red Sea. Let's celebrate. He's given us conquest over our enemies. But then in chapter 13... Things start to go south. I would call it a spiritual drift. No one drifts from God completely in one hour or in one day. Let me say it this way. We're kind of like sheep that walk away from the shepherd and we find a tuft of grass here that we like. Mm, this is good. And then we see another tuft over here and our head is down and we're starting to drift away from the shepherd. And before we know it, we could be long away, but it happens a tuft of grass at a time, a temptation at a time, a compromise at a time, a statement to God that says, well, not now, Lord, I've got a plan and I want to live my plan. In chapter 10, we see what the people of Jerusalem now have done. They are excited about what God has done by bringing Nehemiah as this amazing leader they pledged to submit to God's word. We're going to follow your word. We're going to follow your will. We're going to follow your way. They vowed to live separate from the world, much like Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to the world. And then they promised to keep the Sabbath, one of the Ten Commandments, to keep it holy and to honor it. And they agreed to support God's work. They wanted to submit. They wanted to separate themselves. They wanted to keep the Sabbath. And they wanted to support the work of God. So this is the first thing we, we see back in chapter 10. But it's the submission promise. We are going to submit to your will and to your way, O oh God. Nehemiah 10, 29. And all these now join their fellow Israelites, the nobles, and bind themselves with the curse and an oath. Now catch this. They didn't just say an oath, I promise, but they bound themselves with a curse. In other words, God, if we don't keep our promise to you, you can go ahead and take your hand of blessing away from us. If we don't keep our promise to you, you can do to us what you've done to our enemies. So this is a promise with a condition, and the people took this on themselves, that they would follow the law God had given through Moses, the servant of God, and to, what does it say? 
Go ahead. You can respond. It's all right. To obey what? Oh, carefully. Um, without taking much time, that Hebrew word simply means to obey every detail. And if you study the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, you will find out that there's a ton of laws in there. I mean, there's so many details that God had set up for his people. And here's what the people say. We will be careful to obey every detail. You can count on us, God. Chapter 10. Now over to chapter 13. Nehemiah 13, 1. On that day, the book of Moses was read aloud in the hearing of the people. And there it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be admitted into the assembly of God. This is a big oops. The Ammonites and the Moabites were the enemies of the Jewish people. And somehow, Nehemiah finds out that they've been let into the temple of God. Now, nothing wrong with inviting people into the temple of God who wanted to worship God. But the Ammonites and the, the Moabites were people that worshiped idols. They were anti-God. They were totally against him. And they listened to the words of Moses, and they remembered what had happened to their ancestors when they were on the threshold of the promised land, and they missed what God had for them. The Ammonites and the Moabites were the ones who hired the prophets of Baal to curse the Israelites, and yet they allowed them to come into the presence of God. And over in verse 3 of Nehemiah 13, it says, When the people heard this law, they excluded from Israel all who were foreign descents. Now, this is not an anti-statement of immigration. That's not what this is saying here. It doesn't have an exclusion of ethnicities. And what I love about LFC is we have six front doors um, when we expanded this sanctuary, we really didn't need to have an entrance or exit there. We chose to put that there on purpose. So we would be symbolically saying, we have six front doors to our church. All are welcome here. Regardless of your background, regardless of, of your economics, regardless of your education, regardless of the culture of, uh, that you've come from or the color of your skin, everyone's welcome here. But there was something that these people had said. We will not have anyone who's anti-God come into the holy place of the Lord. And it was different back then. The second thing is a separation promise. While they broke their promise to submit to God's word, they determined once again to do what God says. The, the, the next promise that they didn't keep was what we're going to call the separation promise. And in this promise, we find a couple of things, um, too much to tell, but I can tell you this one. This is called the enemy intruder, the enemy intruder. Nehemiah 13, four says, before this, uh, how do you say that? Good. You're all right. Yeah. The, the priest had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God. He was closely associated with Tobiah. Do you remember Tobiah from Nehemiah's study? Tobiah was one of the enemies of Nehemiah in the rebuilding of the wall. Tobiah and Sanballat, two of the key enemies. And here's what they said. If a fox climbs on your wall, your wall will fall down. In other words, what you're building is of no value and no consequence. It doesn't really matter what you're doing. Now, he was closely associated with Tobiah, and he provided him with a large room. In other words, he says, Tobiah, why don't you come to the temple place? And create a man cave for yourself, big screen TV and a, and a beer on tap and whatever else you want to have, man. Go for it. 
Go for it. Why? Because the storehouse is empty. What was the storehouse? Well, Malachi 3 challenges all of us to bring our tithes and offerings to the storehouse where the feed is kept for the people. And in this, the storehouse is empty because they're no longer supporting and giving to the temple to take care of the temple. So we've got room in our warehouse, Tobiah. Come and live here. Could you imagine? Nehemiah arrives on the scene and he sees one of his notorious enemies living in the temple of God where God was to be worshiped. Now think about this for your own life. Are there things you allow into your life? I'm going to challenge a little bit this morning. The things you allow in your life or in your home or in your family that really isn't the best and really isn't what God's will and way would want for you. In, in Nehemiah 13, 7, here I learned, Nehemiah says, about the evil thing uh, this guy had done. What's his name again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. Hmm. And the next thing we see is mixed marriages. Now, if you read about mixed marriages, you might go, I don't understand this. Well, let me tell you, as a Jewish kid growing up, we had family members that were very traditional. Tradition. Yeah, if you're old, you know what that is. If you're not old, you go, what? What's that? It's a song. It's um, Kanye or somebody like that. Anyway, <laughs> so, so here's what we see. I heard this growing up. I can remember being in fourth and fifth grade, hearing some of my relatives say, can you believe it? Oy vey, he married a Hispanic woman. Violation of scripture. Hmm, mixed marriage. Can you believe it? She married an African-American man. <gasps> Violation of scripture. Oy, 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 oy. Pass the gefilte fish. <laughs> and I heard my family. And I thought, what, what is mixed marriage? And when I would see mixed marriages, Right? ethnically mixed, I would go, oh my gosh, abomination to God. I'm in the sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. That's what I thought. Now, that's not what this is talking about. See, there was a vow in, in back in chapter uh, 10, verse 30. We won't go there right now, but we, 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 we promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the people around us or take their daughters for our sons. Why? Because they worshiped other gods. They were anti-God. They were anti-Jewish people. So for you to step up over the line and marry somebody, this is the Jewish law now we're going back to, for you to marry somebody that wasn't just, well, not a believer in God, but someone who was against God and who brought curses down on the people that followed God, that would be a violation of the separation promise. Nehemiah 13, 25 and 26. I made them take an oath, Nehemiah says. Let's get back on track. Let's recalibrate our hearts. In God's name, you are not to give your daughters in marriage. So he takes back the, the promise from chapter 10 and reestablishes it upon the people. But then he ends here. Was it not because of marriages like these that Solomon, the king of Israel, sinned? Solomon. Now, interesting to note, as great as Solomon was, he did not finish well as a leader. One of the wisest, richest men who ever lived. You can study his life. He did not finish well. 
Nehemiah himself had personally experienced the result of Solomon's sin. That's why his grandparents had been carried off to Babylonian captivity for 70 years. And that's why he was a servant for King Artaxerxes. And there was no way that Nehemiah wanted God's judgment to fall on Israel again. If God did not tolerate it in Solomon's life, he certainly wouldn't tolerate it now. So I started by saying, can we learn lessons from others? Absolutely. That's exactly what Nehemiah is saying here to the people of Jerusalem. Watch the life of Solomon. Watch the, 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 the downfall of people who had these mixed marriages happen because they had promised to God they wouldn't do that. When we violate a promise, there's always consequences, is there not? The third thing is a support promise. The support promise. Uh, look at Nehemiah 10, 39. We will not neglect the house of our God. And they were very boastful about this. But what did we see earlier? The temple storerooms are empty. There's no grain. There's no grapes. There's no oil. There's no finances. So they could have Tobiah have his man cave and all the stuff that he wanted to do. Nehemiah 13, 11, So I rebuked the officials and asked them, why is the house of God neglected. Now, this would be a great time for me to talk about tithes and offerings and financial giving, wouldn't it? Sure. You go right ahead. You know, I mean, I know a lot of preachers would take deep opportunity with this. I'm not going to do that. But I do have to tell you that um, sometimes there's a misnomer that Lompoc Foursquare Church gets money from the Vatican or Salt Lake City or uh, denominational headquarters. I mean, no, no, whatever we use here to take care of our church, our people, our community, our missionaries, our scholarships for college kids, whatever we do, our feedings on Monday night to feed the under-resourced, whatever we do here comes from you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for your generosity. Uh, this week, you, you might be interested to know on Wednesday, um, we are doing a meal for the uh, security forces at Vandenberg Space Force Base. Um, so all of the cops that are on post will get a uh, wonderful meal. Dave at the Village Coffee Stop is helping us with uh, smoked turkeys and smoked ham. And uh, that's kind of cool. And mashed potatoes, gravy. Don't talk about food in the second service. It's too close to lunch, right? And uh, we're going out with a team, and we're going to link up with their chaplains. We're bringing all the food in, and it, you, you, it's your tithe dollars that pay for all that. I just want you to know that. So when we see some of the airmen, um, they're, they're not called guardians. They're still under the Air Force, not the Space Force, so it's confusing to me. But I'm their honorary commander, and they've asked us to come again, as we did last year for Christmas and uh, Thanksgiving, to come again and do a meal, and that's great. And then their uh, Christmas party in the 11th of December out on the base, we're going to be serving uh, cotton candy and for the kids and popcorn and nachos and that kind of stuff. And you heard the announcement made about uh, hot chocolate for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. Um, so those are things we do because of your giving. Um, somebody asked me recently too, they said, oh, did the church apply for PPP money? Remember the PPP money? Anybody even know what that is? Well, yeah, you could request from the government to get money to help support the staff of your business. And there are many businesses avail themselves of it. It's a wonderful thing. We made a decision not to do that. 
So through the pandemic, um, you know, some people stopped coming to church and some stopped giving. And, and uh, we just made a, a pact to live within our means and like you had to do. Um, again, no problem with the PPP money. I know people that, that got it. Some got it twice. And um, they were told they'd have to pay it back. No one's called yet. Get ready because they will. <laughs> they just signed some big thing and they're going to need your money soon. But anyway, um, I just want to say thank you for how you give and take care of God's house. So that's way too long. Uh, but here's what happened in, in 1311. I rebuked the officials and asked them, why is the house of God neglected? I'm so grateful that this house is not neglected. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And it looks cool in here too, by the way. A couple things that Nehemiah did, and it's a great leadership uh, uh, challenge. It's also something that we should take to heart. He didn't condemn anybody. You see, condemnation shouts your past, your sins, and you'll never get, get better. Or condemnation shouts, you're a loser. Give up. Why try to be good? Why try to follow God? You'll never be forgiven. But, but conviction shows you another way. Conviction takes you to the blood of Jesus, the forgiveness and mercy and grace of God. Conviction says, mm, you can get past your past. Condemnation says, there's a problem. You'll never get better. And God's heart is never, hear this, God's heart is never to condemn anyone. When you condemn a building, it's no longer useful for its intended purpose. God has a plan and a purpose for everyone. I don't care if they're incarcerated for the worst crimes. I don't care if they failed out, fouled out a million times. God is the Lord of the millionth and one chance. People that have been addicted that now are free from addiction, hallelujah, hallelujah, front row. Yeah, yeah. And some have been delivered from addictions and now are counseling people to help them get free from addiction. So proud of you. And there's many like Casey who've done the same thing. God never gives up on us. But let me say it again. God never gives up on us. Even when you've wandered away from tough to tough and you go, oh, you're way over there. God wants to bring you back. And I got to get back to my sermon. Nehemiah 13. 12 and 13, all Judah brought the tithes of grain, the new wine and olive oil into the storerooms. And they, they, they put um, this guy, uh, yeah, uh, the priest and Zadok, the scribe, the Levite named, yeah, you guys are great at pronunciation, in charge of the storerooms and made Hanan's son of Zachar, I say Zuchar like sugar, uh, the son of this other guy, the assistant, because they were considered trustworthy and they were made responsible for distributing the supplies to their fellow Levites who would make sure the people were taken care of. The next thing is the, the Sabbath promise. Number four, the Sabbath promise. When they signed the covenant, the Israelites promised not to do business with the Gentiles on the Sabbath. That's great. Keep the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Nehemiah was proud until he got there in Nehemiah 13. And he finds in verse 16, the people from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem. When? On the Sabbath to the people of Judah. Are you kidding me? They've actually let them into the walls of Jerusalem. These non-believers, but not just that. 
these people who are then violating the Sabbath by having a swap meet and a farmer's market on Sunday in the, in the city of Jerusalem. And they made a promise. We will not dishonor the Sabbath. Mm. Notice this, Nehemiah 13, 18. I'll give you a lot of history here. Didn't your ancestor do the same thing so that our God brought all this calamity on us and on this city? Can't we learn from the mistakes of others? Didn't your ancestors do this? Again, wisdom or experience. And we learn from the wisdom of others, those that have violated the heart of God. Now you are stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. So this leader, Nehemiah, incredible leader, he doesn't debate with them. He doesn't condemn them. He doesn't even convict them. He just says, here's what I'm doing. I'm shutting up the gates. Verse 19, I ordered the doors to be shut and not open until the Sabbath was over. I stationed some of my own men at the gates, men that I could trust and believe in so that no load could be brought in on the Sabbath day because we're going to honor the Sabbath. Now, I've taken care of chapter 13. And in the next three to four minutes, I'm going to give you the top nine lessons. I had a top 10, but it takes too long. There's actually 30 to 35 lessons you can gain and glean from the book of Nehemiah. The first one, number one, you can listen fast, I'll talk fast. Move out of your comfort zone. Remember, Nehemiah's living in the palace. He hears from his brother that the walls are knocked down, that the gates have been burned, that the people have no infrastructure, and it breaks his heart. He gets down on his knees and weep before God. Then he prays to God. But he doesn't just weep and pray. Then he stands up to act and to make a difference. He uses his influence and his leverage to get the king to write him a note so he can get the supplies that he needs, so he can have a passport to go to back from where he was in Persia all the way back to Jerusalem. And he gets this, this green light from the king. He found favor with the king. But something we have to remember is the walls and the gates were rebuilt in 52 days. No one could do that in 147 years. Nehemiah led it in 52 days. And all the people were able to say, this is a God thing. God is at work. Hey, can I ask you a question? Are you willing to leave your comfort zone for the sake of the kingdom? Are you willing to share your faith with someone? It could be walking across the street. It could be walking across the room where you work. It could be serving here with our kids team as we rebuild that. It could be that you play an instrument and sing. Uh, let me clarify. You play an instrument and sing very well. There's a difference. Yeah. I play piano here when no one's here. It's bad. It's really bad. I would never play it in public. So if that's you, don't sign up. But, but if you have some skills, I know that, that, that Pastor Wendy would love to chat with you about that. So just let us know. Communicate with us. Maybe you want to be a part of our cleaning team. We clean the whole church with volunteers. But maybe there's things outside the wall of the church like donating your time at the library or donating your time with great organizations. I mean, there's many of them, like CASA, like Boys and Girls Club, like YMCA. Find a place where there's a need and just fill it and see what God does. Are you willing? 
The, the concern you carry, I said in the third uh, message of this series, the concern you carry often reveals a calling that you'll embrace. When something breaks your heart, oftentimes that's exactly the thing that God has done in your life, so you will be fueled to do what? To go make a difference. I love what Nehemiah 6.3 said. When they were trying to derail Nehemiah, who had left his comfort zone, here's what he said. I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. They wanted him to go to the town of, of Ono, remember? Come to the land of Ono. Oh, no, I'm not going. Why should the work come to a standstill just because you want me to come and meet with you? The second thing, it's never the wrong time to do the right thing. As we see in chapter 13, people are actually turning themselves back to the promises that they have made. I wanted to say this to you. It's never the wrong time to do the right thing. The third thing is, don't play around with sin. Good morning. Because sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will cost you more than you want to pay. And it will keep you longer than you want to stay. That old phrase has stuck with me forever. It will take you farther than you want to go. I'm just going to go this far. Yeah, right. Hey, honey, how far do you think we can go? Talking about two teenagers who are dating, right? How far do you think? The wrong, wrong question. Why do you want to go far at all? Because far gets us what? In trouble. Okay. All right. Fourth thing. Remember who God is, that he is great and that he is awesome. Nehemiah 6, 16. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work, talking about rebuilding the wall and the gates, that this work had been done with, with, by the way, he's going to help you. And the work you do is great. I said a couple of weeks ago to parents and grandparents and guardians, the work you're doing is great. I talked to a mama that has two kids in diapers at the same time. I said, your work is great. She goes, diapers? I go, yeah, this will pass. This will pass. But while you're doing it, it's great work. Raising your kids is great work. Investing in the next generation is great work. Living for God is great work. Supporting the work of God is great work. So keep doing great work, everybody. Growing a lifestyle of praise and prayer, number five. Number six, don't allow difficulties to derail you. They will try. Uh, Pastor John shared with us that the devil tries to rob our joy because he can't take our salvation from us. He wants to rob our joy. He wants to derail you. I love what Nehemiah 4.14 said, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families. Come on, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Remember the Lord who's great and awesome. Number seven, say yes to God's priorities and no to the devil's distractions. We could camp there for a while, couldn't we? Uh, be careful with who gets to speak into your life. Um, the media is stronger than ever, louder than ever. Social media is out there. We didn't have that 10, 15, 20 years ago. Now it's everywhere. I had somebody recently ask me a question. And I knew, regardless of the answer I gave them, it would cause controversy. Whether my answer was right in their eyes or wrong in their eyes, I was going down one of those black hole vortexes and I was going to be in trouble. So guess what my answer was? You can use this. Here, feel free to use it. Well, I don't know much about that, was my answer, but I know something about God. 
I flipped the conversation in 30 seconds. I know something about God. What do you know about God? That he loves you and has a great plan for your life. Well, 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 but what about, what about? I, 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 I didn't want to go to the what about. There's a lot of controversial things out there right now. Hello? Hello? People that are experts on everything, right? Some people are experts on stuff they know nothing about, right? And everybody has, you know, like two armpits. Everybody has two opinions. And so, so let me just help you. Don't let people derail you in conversation or in thought. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful what you put into your mental system and into your soul system. I was reading a bunch of stuff online recently, and I had to stop. I just got mad. And then I wonder, how come so many people are mad too? They must be reading this stuff. They must be listening to this stuff. And so I stopped for a moment and I prayed a prayer. I don't always pray this kind of prayer. I prayed a cleansing prayer over my brain and my soul. God, yuck. There's the, yuck. That's what I say, yuck. You know, and he said, I know what that is. I know what yuck is. He knows what it means. So be careful what you put into your system. Don't get caught up in vain arguments. Look that up in the scriptures as well. Let's be people that represent the Lord well. Let's say yes to God's priorities and no to the devil's distraction. Number eight, believe the promises of God and act upon them. Just believe them. And then number nine, allow God to use you. Here I am, Lord, send me. I, I believe much like Nehemiah, the lesson that we learned is this. If Nehemiah, who had never been a contractor, who never made a brick in his life, didn't know about the consistency of, of mortar and mix and footings and such, was able to lead people, God can use you and me to build walls that will help people be fortified. Not walls that keep people out, but walls that keep people safe. That we could build passageway to people and help them with their lives. So is there any area where you've been drifting lately? If you find that, I'm going to encourage you as we close with this, our worship team is going to come back and we're going to just sing a quick song and, and be on our way. But I want to go to Nehemiah 13, the last little uh, part of this chapter. And I put three verses together, verse 14, 22, and 31. Could you read this with your best? The sermon is done voice right now. Here we go. Remember me, oh my God. And do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. And show mercy to me according to your great love. Remember me with favor, O oh my God. Let's read that last part. And show mercy to me according to your great love. And remember me with favor, O oh my God. That's the closing words of Nehemiah. It's a prayer to God. And it's my prayer for you that God would allow his mercy to be realized in and through your life and that you would recognize he has favor on you because we are highly favored among the world because we've given our lives over to Christ. If you haven't done that yet, I encourage you to give your life to Jesus, to believe in him who died and who rose again from the dead and you too can be saved. It's pretty simple. Here I am, Lord. I believe in you. Take my life and use me for your glory and for your honor. Lord, we thank you for your goodness that's following our lives. And we give you praise and we give you thanks. 
Let your goodness flow through us to people around us because our world needs to know how good you are. Our world needs to know they're not condemned, but they're welcomed into your kingdom. Thank you, God, that mercy and goodness follow us all the days of our life. We give you praise. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.